This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Did you know 9 out of 10 couples prefer a different mattress firmness? Why settle for that? Time for a sleep number bed. You like it firm and he's a softie? There's an adjustment for that. It's your sleep number setting. Your own personalized comfort, firmness, and support. For better sleep, expect more from your mattress. Don't miss the ultimate sleep number event. Save 50% on the ultimate limited edition bed. Hurry and soon. Only at one of our 550 stores nationwide. For your local store and research information, visit sleepnumber.com. No better sleep with sleep number. Welcome to the East Coast Offense Podcast. This is Chris Liss, your host. This podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. There's a special offer for new users. You can get a free six-month RotoWire subscription with just a $10 deposit on FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash RW. Not only will you get the free subscription, but you'll have that $10 available to play with on FanDuel. It's more than $40 in value for just $10. Go to FanDuel.com slash RW. It's the East Coast Offense Podcast, and I'm very pleased to welcome back Dalton Del Don, who whom I have not spoken in uh, a few weeks, and uh, Dalton, it's your birthday today. Am I am I correct about that? You are correct. I turn uh, 35 today. Damn, and you've got nothing better to do than this podcast on your 35th birthday. That is sad. It's a sad state of affairs. I, I, I can't argue with you. I mean, it really is. Um, I am going to the Warrior Clipper game tonight to make up for it, but uh, yeah, I have no comeback it's it, it really is pathetic that I'm, I'm spending the morning of my birthday uh talking to chris list you actually set the alarm for this didn't you you know uh, i did i did but my daughter gets I, I get her breakfast we have a you know we have a newborn as well so these days you know i used to go to sleep really late and wake up really late but unfortunately i have to get up earlier but uh just to be sure yes i did set the alarm how is uh mason crosby del don doing he's, he's doing well thanks for asking he, he's doing well yeah, he's not. He's, uh, is Chloe beating him up yet, or is she cool with him? She's a little rough, and she doesn't understand. She got a cold, and she doesn't understand to stay away. You know, it's dangerous when, when a, you know, a, a baby gets sick, and she just refuses to and wants to keep hugging him and, and coughing all over him. So a little struggles there, but no jealousy yet, only just uh, loves her baby brother so far. So, so what's going on? So um, I, I'd like to say um, uh, great job by Andre, uh, the professor Snellings. Uh, thankfully, he has a a very uh, you know important job that takes his time away because I might have been Wally Pipped. Uh, that was a, I listened to that podcast on my way home home from L.A. and my Yahoo trip, and it was really uh, it was really good. I must say, I will pass that along to Dre. I doubt he listens to your episodes, but you listen to his, so I will uh, pass that along. It was a huge upgrade to get Andre on, 
And, uh, yeah, it was good. We, we subbed him in the week that you were out. Um, I thought you were going to leave with the Super Bowl. I can't believe I had to send you money for that bullshit. That was I was, a- I'm, I'm, I'm headed there next. Yeah, oh. it's, it's been a, a rough stretch for you. I know the Super Bowl's a few weeks old, but just, real quickly I want to briefly touch on it because we haven't talked about it since. But, yeah, you lost another $100 to me. Uh, the Pats I had minus three, had that all in the bag all along. And, uh, yeah, you, you've been in a rough stretch of sending, PayPaling me money. I mean, that was just such garbage. I, it, I mean, it was just the fact that I actually lost money on that. I, was, I had Atlanta minus 7.5 at plus 330. <laughs> like, I was going to collect, like, $1,000. I had bet Stope at 200 bucks just with the spread. I had a lot of different bets going. And, you know, okay, fine, like that 8.5, that 7.5, they were going to choke that away anyway. But to not kick the field goal, you know, when they were in field goal range, when they could have knelt on the ball three times, kicked the field goal, gone up 11 with, like, three and a half minutes left, Patriots would have had to get an onside kick. And the thing is, if the Patriots got close, they may have kicked the field goal first and lose by eight if they don't get the onside kick. So I may win everything still. And yeah, instead, of course, they take a sack and they get a penalty. And, yeah, Brady was zoning and he was great. But, I mean, come on, man. This is such – it really – you know what? I was right. I, I put my money down. I had the right – I was totally right about that game. Atlanta was the better team. But the NFL sometimes, it's really the sport most of all, although you get that with baseball sometimes too, but it's the sport most of all that you feel cheated with, the NFL. It's like it just cheated you. Like this, this is meaningless. It, it turns you into a nihilist. Betting on the NFL just turns you into a total nihilist. It was a beautiful thing. I mean, I've had bigger payout or possible payouts, I should say, with long shots, you know, in Super Bowl bets before the future bets. But that was actually the biggest bet um, amount of money I had in any single event was Tom Brady for MVP. So I was going pretty nuts. And uh, what would have been funny is if I was, you know, celebrating going ape in, in the, in overtime. And if James White had ended up winning MVP, that would have been, uh, that would have been quite, um, quite funny for me, but it, it turned out well, I was pretty happy with it. A couple crazy stats. Did you realize that that was the Patriots biggest margin of victory in the Super Bowl? Uh, I didn't, but I knew they, you know, I mean, they easily, they, they've been in seven Super Bowls and any one of them could have gone either way. I mean, they barely yeah, won stats. every single one. I mean, that's insane, though. They were down 28-3, and the game went to overtime. And, they're, you know, they, they're obviously the biggest, uh, you know. The, so the, stupid. Yeah. I mean, just so <laughs> stupid. I, it just honestly, like, it's just such a stupid game. Like, it, it was, you know, two out of the last three years, another team basically gifted them a Super Bowl. Right. I mean, right. The, the NFL is just the most, there's the biggest disconnect between winning championships and, you know, and it meaning it's like you're like, oh, they won because wait, Marshawn Lynch didn't get the ball at the quarter yard line after he's getting like six yards of carry. Wow, and they and they got this random interception. And now they won the game after it was totally over. And then this game, like, wait, they did what? They didn't just run the clock and kick a short field goal with one of the best kickers in the league. Okay, so they won, and like everyone's celebrating. And Brady did play out of his mind in the second half. Like he did make all those throws. I mean, even if Atlanta gifted another team all those opportunities, most QBs would just not have delivered. So I mean, he did play great, but. You're just like, oh, they won their – he won his fifth. But it's just – there's no there's no justice in it. Like, I remember growing up on, like, the 85 Bears and the 86 Giants and then those Niners teams that just destroyed teams. And you were like, oh, yeah, that's – you know, Joe Montana, he didn't just win the Super Bowl. They destroyed the other team. There was no doubt that they were better than any team in the league by far. But here it's like, dude, they're not even, the be- they're not even better than the Atlanta Falcons. They just threw a crazy sequence of events and – uh, a total brain cramp by the Falcons coaching staff. They somehow now have the title, like they have the trophy, but it's not, it's not in relation to any sort of reality that they earned. 
Right. Another crazy stat is that New England scored 34 points and didn't have an extra point in the game, which I found pretty uh, pretty absurd as well. But let me do a quick segue before we talk to um, before we talk baseball. Speaking of Kyle Shanahan and the mistakes made by the Atlanta, uh, you know, coaching staff. Uh, if you're my 49ers, would you trade the number two overall pick for the number 17 pick and Kirk Cousins, who's going to be expensive? You know, I don't know enough about the salary cap and what the replacement value cost is. I guess basically I'm asking you if you think Kirk Cousins is a, you know, what what are your thoughts on paying him a lot of money? Because I, I have my thoughts. I mean, rookies, first of all, this seems like this rookie class is pretty bad as far as quarterbacks. They're a crapshoot to begin with, and it takes two or three years for them to develop, although the Niners' the whole roster is going to take two or three years to develop. So I guess just in general, I, I couldn't tell I, you who's I would the great say number probably, I mean, the 17th pick is pretty good. I'd say probably not, to be honest. I think Cousins has had a large enough sample that it's shown he's a good quarterback, but not a great quarterback. And good, you know, what is good, right? I mean, he's somewhere between, you know, at the low end, Joe Flacco, Matt Stafford, and at the high end, what? What's the high end? Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, not Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers. Like, how good, you know what I mean? It's like, I probably wouldn't, but... But then again, the 17th pick is still pretty good in football. It's not like basketball where the 17th pick right. is worthless. Right. And the question is, well, I mean, it, you know, they're so far from having anything offensively or defensively that it's really just a total rebuild. I probably wouldn't, to be honest. All right. All right. 28 years old, uh, 8.1 YPA last year. Shanahan, obviously, if they do give this up, he likes him. I mean, he, he was their offensive coordinator back in Washington his first three years. You know, Shanahan was the guy when RG3 went crazy. You realize that he he was his coordinator. No, he's, he's one of the best offensive coaches in football, and and actually, you know, if you look how well Matt Ryan played, Cousins, you know, maybe that was the high end. You know, it's Matt Ryan's sort of like who he might be, and then the low end would be like a Flacco type, and maybe Shanahan gets. You know, look what Matt Matt Ryan was had one of the all time great seasons ever. Right. So yeah. you know, maybe highest maybe, YPA ever. Highest YPA ever. Yeah, highest YPA ever, and it was you know it was totally backed up by the touchdowns and the lack of interceptions and the run in the playoffs and they should have won the Super Bowl. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I could see it. I could see it too. Maybe, maybe, maybe you should do it. I mean, I'm just right. really like a little biased because I always think like the quest to get some kind of quarterback in there is, is usually a bad move. Like you're way better off just either if you get like a once in a generation, Andrew Luck type draft pick. Great. Early in the draft, obviously you take him, but I was always against like, the so, Sue Bradford argument. Right. The Sue, like taking Bradford because he's the best in that particular class or taking Christian Ponder at the eighth pick because who knows, you know, we got to get a quarterback. Maybe he'll be good or Blaine Gabbert. I always thought like, you know, if you, you don't, the quarterback's so hard to scout that maybe you get a Russell Wilson or a Dak Prescott or a Tony Romo or a Tom Brady or a Kurt Warner. There's so many of them that end up, you know, somehow, you know, just developing surprisingly. And so, you know, you just have to get guys who know how to develop quarterbacks, know how to eye, you know, eye them, and either get a free agent on the cheap or, you know, draft a couple of the guys in the third or fourth round and hope one of them has it rather than overspend for them. But maybe Cousins is is above yeah. that threshold where it's worth going out investing the the salary and the and the trade them picks for. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He might be above the threshold of the guys you're, you're speaking of, but um, we'll see. The, obviously, the jury's out with him, but he's proven to be durable the last two years when he's been a full-time starter. And again, 8.1 YPA. Uh, admittedly, they have pretty good weapons in Washington, but um, I, I'm actually for that as a Niner fan. I, I actually hope they do pull the trigger there. Let's talk some, some baseball now. Let's transition. So when I was in L.A., it was for 
a bunch of meetings with Yahoo, but we also filmed a couple video segments. It was the first time I got in a in a makeup chair and had a, had a makeup on me and all that stuff. It was pretty uh pretty interesting. And we filmed a a, a three round uh, mock draft, and uh, they rigged it so I got the number one pick because I said I will take Clayton Kershaw. And and I wrote an article, my mostly MLB notes, a couple weeks ago, and I am vouching for taking him. Obviously, Mike Trout is the man, and and I could see the argument there, but I can't really see the argument for after Trout. I mean, Mookie Betts is great and all, but Kershaw, on a per-game basis last year, as in if he would have stayed healthy, was by far, he was like twice as valuable as Trout. I mean, the guy is so, so good. We've talked about how the categories, there's just basically seven starting pitchers you use, um, assuming you have two closers, whereas there's 13 or 14 offensive positions, so they can just contribute so much more, and Kershaw is just such a generational talent, probably the best pitcher of all time. Uh, I have a feeling that you don't won't necessarily disagree with me. Yeah, I also have them at number one. I ran the steamer numbers through my formula. My formula is not I was going to say, talk about your, your two articles. I read them. They were very interesting. So so basically, you know, I used what a 70-30 hitting pitching split. And what that means is, you know, you, you project all the stats out and you figure out, like, how many standard deviations above replacement each player is in each category or below replacement, as the case may be, and you add it up. But to convert that into a dollar value – you basically got to say, okay, well, what are the total dollars spent, right? And so, well, $260 a person in auction times 12, so it's like 31-something, you know, you, you, you 3184 whatever the number is. And then you got to decide of that 3184 that's to be spent in the league, how much is going to pitchers for the, you know, top 108 pitchers, nine pitchers times 12 teams, and how many for the top 168 hitters, 14 hitters times 12 teams. Those are the full rosters. That's how much money's being spent on those players at auction. And I decided, okay, this is the way it's usually done for reasons that we could get into, but we don't need to. 70% of the money is going toward hitting. Only 30% is going toward pitching. So given that only, you know, whatever, 900-something of the dollars, of the total dollars, is going toward pitching, Kershaw is still worth $48.41 according to Steamer's projections. Steamer is not me. This is just the most accurate sort of automated, rigorous, scientific type of projection system that we have. $48, $48, and that's being extremely conservative. I did it with hitters, and Trout comes out to 42 But remember, Trout's 42 is in a 70% of the total budget, 2100-something, going toward hitters. So if you were 50-50, which is in the end what they earn, because you have five pitching categories and five hitting categories, we can go into the reasons why people calculate it 70-30, but in the end of the year, half your value in your categories is pitching. There's 50 pitching points to get there's 50 hitting points to get if you one, get one thing i'd counter is it is possible for a batter to contribute in all five whereas it's not possible for a pitcher to contribute in all of his five because of the saves well sure but it's not just do they contribute you know yes or no it's but how much do they contribute right, right. so it's yeah, like, very few very few uh, five cat guys in, in offense but even if they are five categories who cares it's all about the degree to which they contribute right there's sure. you could say trout contributes and steals and so does billy hamilton but that's that doesn't really give you much context of who's contributing right. more in steals. And so, obviously, if you have a guy who, you know, would you rather have a guy that gets you 20 homers and 20 steals or a guy who gets you 80 homers and zero steals? You're going to take the 80 homers. It's just the number of categories is meaningless, right? It doesn't really matter. So, if, if it were done on a 50-50 basis, Kershaw, I'm sure, would be like 70 and Trout would be like 30. It would literally be like 2 to 1 in terms of the amount of money earned. 
right? And I can't stand the argument where it's like, even in real baseball, speaking of like a pitcher can't win MVP, I mean, I guess the other argument is that they have their own award with Cy Young, but it's like, well, one player plays five days a week and also contributes possibly on defense, whereas the other is just one, you know, sorry, not five days a week, you know, every day, whereas uh, pitchers once every five days. But if you look at the Vegas line, if Mike Trout misses a game, maybe it moves, you know, minus 10, minus 20 or whatever, but Kershaw pitching, the difference between that is just so much more impactful in the one game in which he does play. It's at least worth five games of offense, at least. Of course, of course. All right, so you have you have Kershaw number one on your board as well. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's a, a, even a, a tough call. Okay, all right, fair enough. All right, so at the wheel coming back, um, I took a, a man. I actually held my nose when I took this, and I got uh, derided for it. Um, Jonathan VR, what do you make of players like this who kind of came out of nowhere? And obviously, you don't want to pay for last year's stats. But, man, 19 homers and 62 steals, and the guy walks a lot. He could regress plenty and, and still be valuable there. I, I don't know, though. Again, I have a bad feeling I'm, I'm certainly buying high here. So what are your thoughts on him specifically? Or just in general, guys that kind of came out of nowhere, although he's still just 25 years old. Yeah, I don't have a strong opinion on him. I mean, it is what it is. It's it's he's presenting a dilemma, right? Which is that he's worth a first round pick based on last year's stats, but he's only done it one year. And it's so steals heavy that, you know, this is a real, you know, this is this really a player that's an 800 plus OPS guy. If he goes to 720, 730, maybe he's not even a regular in the lineup. Steamer has him at 31 among hitters for what it's worth. So that would be about 38 among overall. So they don't agree with you, but so what Steamer's typically pretty conservative. Yeah, no, I think uh, Yahoo ADP is like 45, and his NFBC ADP is like 15 or something. It's very, very different there. Um, all right, I want you to grade the rank these three catchers. Gary Sanchez, Buster Posey, Kyle Schwarber. Oh, well, I don't consider Schwarber a— I, Well, he's, he's catcher available in Yahoo is why I asked. Okay, he's, he's... I guess I would say Schwarber as a catcher, then Posey, then Sanchez. Although, Steamer has Sanchez quite a bit higher than Posey. Steamer has Sanchez at number, I want to say, like 50-something, 51, and Posey all the way down at um, 76. And that's not adjusting for, you know, obviously they're both catchers, but that's just their – the rankings that I said are not giving them any boost for being catchers. And Schwarber is 54. So they actually have Sanchez ahead of Schwarber straight up. Yeah, no, I, I have Sanchez number one on my catching board. Uh, Scott Pianowski uh, was really uh, against that adamantly. And, and I get it. His his OPS in, in the minors last year was like 808 or something. So, And he just went ballistic when, when he joined the majors. Obviously, he's going to regress some. But we're talking 20 homers in 201 at-bats. Buster Posey's career high in homers is 24. Um, I, I love Posey, obviously. But the mileage is there. I mean, I'm a Giants guy. Uh, Sanchez is going to hit third in a, in a great, way better hitter's park. He has the DH available, you know, to, to rest, whereas Posey does not. Uh, you know, Schwarber playing left field, he's going to butcher it in, in real life, but that helps as well that he doesn't have to play the taxing position. So I, I think all these guys are, are pretty close. Posey, the higher floor, highest floor, the other two higher upside. But, um, yeah, I agree with Steamer. And, and for me, I have Sanchez as number one on my catching board. Yeah, I mean, Posey has some serious batting average upside. I mean, he can hit 315 right. from the catcher spot, and that's something that the other guys just can't do. Right, right. Well, I mean, his career batting average is 307. So, yeah, he's uh, obviously I, I love Posey. But um, I, th- I feel like those are, are an interesting uh, debate, though. Um, another guy who um, kind of 
you're, you're paying for very little sample size um, is Trey Turner. I mean, this guy just went absolutely ballistic when he came up last year. Uh, obviously, a lot of uh, stolen base upside. I actually have him ranked ahead of Altuve, and I looked at NFBC ADP, and Altuve's going top five overall, so maybe that's dumb. But um, what are your thoughts between those two and and going out, you know, spending a high draft pick on these guys with such small samples? Well, Steamer has Altuve at six and Trey Turner at seven, so it's oh, pretty wow. close. Okay. Although Altuve is almost two bucks more. There's a little bit of a drop after Altuve. Um, you know, I, I think it's fine. I mean, he, he can steal a ton of bases and – at least, even if he's not very good, he should steal like 30, 35 bases, right? Like, even if he only hits like 12 home runs and bats 280, he still should steal a lot of bases. It's not really my style to take someone like that in the first round, but I would probably right. take Miguel Cabrera there if if push came to shove. But I could see it. I'm not, I don't think it's ridiculous to take him. That's actually my next uh, debate. Nice, nice segue there. Um, is uh, Miguel Cabrera versus Anthony Rizzo? Oh, Cabrera, no brainer. Anthony no Rizzo. Okay. Why do you want Anthony Rizzo? What's he going to do for you? He's like a well, second round pick. He's younger, and he—I mean—he did have a pretty awesome year last, last season. He's a pretty, but yeah, I mean, okay, all right. So you're just taking the the money in the bank, Cabrera. Unless Rizzo like randomly steals 17 bases again. What does he do? Yeah. He's a 30 homer guy. He's got a good average. He's not like a great batting average guy. He's like a 285 hitter. I mean, what is he doing for you? Miguel Cabrera can hit 325 with more power. I don't even think it's All close. Right. Rizzo should okay. be in the second right. round. Rizzo, why would you want to use your first round pick on Rizzo? All right, okay. All right, just, that's fair just enough. Dumb. All right. Again, though, the age—I mean, age would be the, my biggest counter to you. But um, I guess—I mean, obviously, it's—it's it's not like he the doesn't, he doesn't have AIDS. <laughs> I, I did not say that. I said age. <laughs> All right. Um, don't make well, a joke I, about AIDS, dude. It's not funny. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I believe that was you who made the joke about about it, though. Um, all right, I got, By the way, uh, did you ever see? Do you ever Google "Life's Too Short"? Liam Neeson. Oh, I've watched that show. I watched the show. So you know that you know that little bit that they did. It's like one of the yeah, funniest amazing. things I've seen. Amazing, a plus. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. Yeah, so good. Um, all right, the next. Uh, actually, this is the last guy I want to bring up to you, and then hopefully you have some stuff, and then I get some esoteric stuff to end it. But um, what do, what do you do with John Carlos Stanton? I mean, you know, I'm the type of dude who drafts someone like that, and usually ends up suffering on account of it <laughs> this year. Um, I, I told Jeff this <clears throat> on the show every year that I destroy it. Like in 2015, I had just such a good year for baseball. And then I was really cocky last year. And I just like drafted all the same guys on all my teams because I was like, I can, I have the gift of prophecy. And of course it was like Puig and Buxton and Brantley. I actually didn't really like Brantley except that Stefania Bell told me that he's going to be a hundred percent fine in mid April. And he was going at a discount. So I got him everywhere. But I was just like loading up on all the same players, and I didn't have a great year. I had an okay year, actually, but not great. And uh, good enough to crush you in the friends and family side bet, but, you know, that's, that's low bar to clear. And so now that I'm more like, uh, you know, I didn't have a great year, I tend to be – I tend to diversify a lot more. So I'll get, uh, you know, three shares of a guy I like, you know, two shares of this guy, three shares of that guy. And that's kind of what it was a couple of years ago when I had some Machado shares, I had some Harper shares, but I didn't go all in on any two or three guys. And uh, I think Stanton's a guy I'll have one or two shares of. Like, I think the current price tag is worth a gamble, but I've been burned by him enough that I'm not going to go crazy and load up. And plus, as I said, I'm in a mode where I'm like, okay, let's do this soberly and not, like, pretend like I have the gift of prophecy. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Also, it, it does tend to to go extremes too. If you like a guy more than than the rest of the the crowd, you end up with him on all of your teams because you're just willing to take him higher. That was both of us with Puig last year. That's Justin Turner with me this year. I I look where I ranked him before I looked at the the rest of the industry, and it's just massively higher. Just like I have him like sixth over uh, sixth among a third baseman and NFBC ADP is like 15th or something just absurdly different. So I probably will end up with him on so many more teams because I drastically have him graded above the market. And that can be obviously a boom or bust. So I, I do like diversifying in, in the case in which you're saying, because there's a slight possibility that I am wrong. So it happens. What, what about Bryce Harper? Like, what, I mean, is he, it's, it's funny. He's, he's, He's actually been a, a, a negative, what, three of the last four years, but the upside of is that of, you know, the, the best hitter in, in baseball. Yeah, I'll probably have a share or two, or maybe not. I, I think I may end up taking Cabrera there in a lot of cases where I would have a chance to take him at, like, that eight or nine spot, or maybe even Scherzer if the knuckle turns out to not be a big deal. And so I'll probably end up passing on him. I get it. I Maybe I'll have a share, as I said, but it's just, you know, you're still, pl- you're still paying a first-round pick for him. And I'm, right, starting, exactly. I'm, starting, I'm starting to get the feeling like, you know, maybe there's something wrong with him, like, as a person. Not just – it's not like his skill. There's no doubt about the skills. Like, I think if you look at the age and the stuff he did at age 19 and what he did in his MVP year, there, there's absolutely no question about the skills, that he could be the best player in baseball as he was two years ago. But, I mean, maybe this guy is, you know, something, maybe there's something wrong with him that we don't know uh, psychologically. And I just think that's where the risk lies, not not in the skills. Yeah, no, I mean that's there's definitely merits to both sides. Speaking of Scherzer, he he graded pretty pretty interestingly in your steamer article as far as a, a big gap, obviously between Kershaw and him, but then a big gap between uh, number two, Scherzer at number two and Syndergaard at number three. Yeah, I mean Scherzer is, you know, I mean if it weren't for Kershaw, Scherzer would be probably considered the best pitcher in baseball for the last five years, and. You know, Bumgarner has a case. There's a couple guys, but, you know, Scherzer is having a run that is, you know, a Hall of Fame peak run. You know, this is what a Hall of Fame pitcher looks like in the peak five-year stint of his career. <laughs> it's just that Kershaw's around, so we don't really – it doesn't seem that way. And so I think he does deserve to have that bit of gap. I think Bumgarner's kind of close to him, though, just because he's such a rock. He definitely is a rock. Uh, no argument from you there. Another interesting – thing I noticed was uh, Aroldis Chapman was uh, graded as the number 20 pitcher on your steamer column. And you just wrote a column I, I just noticed as well this morning uh, about how important are his strikeouts. So talk a little bit about Chapman. Yeah, Jansen's actually number 16 on steamer's list. And usually oh, wow. relievers get really discounted. But those guys are actually even lower than they should be because my formula just adds up the categories and grades them it doesn't account for like how the game's actually played. And what I wrote about in my article is that, especially in like the NFBC overall, where basically you can, it's nine pitching slots, but the way it really plays out is six starters, two relievers and a flex that you can use a starter or a reliever. That's how everybody plays it because people want to be balanced across all the categories. And so as a result, like you really got to compare Chapman to other closers, not just the way you compare Posey to other catchers because everyone needs catchers. Um, It's not like you can just, put 14 hitting slots of any kind. You need to actually fit the positions. And so position scarcity matters. Well, closer scarcity matters. The the types of relievers that you're going to use in those two relief only or closer only slots that virtually exist in the NFBC 
mean that when you when Chapman has 104 strikeouts as he's projected in 65 innings, that 65 inning relief slot that he occupies, that's like plus 40 Ks over the, you know, the replacement value closer, the the guy who gets a strikeout per inning basically in those 65 innings and gets you 30 saves. So forget about the saves and also the boost in the ratios. It's plus 40 strikeouts. And I compared him to Corey Kluber. Corey Kluber's projected for 221 strikeouts in 211 innings. Your average starting pitching slot out of those six slots I said that are essentially starter slots in the NFBC, uh, they average about 200 innings apiece. Again, you don't average, not all your starting pitchers average 200 innings, but your starting pitching slot. That means who you're streaming in that slot, all that stuff. You add it all up to the slot over the course of the year. Because when you look at it, they have about 1,450 innings at the end of the year your whole staff. And so you, you do six times 200 plus two times you know, 65 plus one times uh, 120 for that flex spot. And you end up with 1450. That's how you get there roughly. So Kluber, instead of getting, you know, on average, you know, the baseline is let's say 173 strikeouts from that slot in 200 innings, Kluber's getting you 221. And don't worry about the innings. He'd get you extra innings because he is going deeper into games. He doesn't get skipped. You know, he's there the whole year, let's say. So he gets you 221. And the replacement value gets you 173. Well, that's a difference of, what, 48 strikeouts. So Kluber is plus 48 over sort of the low-level 173 strikeout starting pitching slot, this replacement value. So he's plus 48, and Chapman's plus 40 over his replacement value slot. Well, that means they're pretty close. Like, Chapman is doing almost as much in strikeouts for you as Kluber. Now, if you were to look at my formula in my spreadsheet, you'd see that Kluber is getting you way more strikeouts than Chapman. Chapman ends up being almost a net negative in strikeouts because there's so many you know, starters that get 130, 140 strikeouts. And so um, if you were to give Chapman basically the same strikeout value or just slightly less than Kluber, you know, his, his value would climb even higher than it is on the sheet. Right, and imagine if you're in an innings cap league, then Chapman's even, I mean, through the roof. Then it's absurd. ridiculously valuable. Right, yeah. so like in friends and family, like those Chapman, Jansen closers, you know, I mean – you can add Edwin Diaz and, and O on the, uh, on the Cardinals and a couple other guys who strike out ridiculous amounts of guys. But the thing about Chapman and Jansen is they're also so good and their, their job security is so solid. I mean, those guys are probably worth like third or fourth round, you know, third round picks in the uh, Friends and Family League. Maybe earlier. Yeah. I mean, and maybe they're worth second round picks with the amount of – you basically just have strikeouts. It's, it, it is as big – it's probably even bigger than Kluber is for strikeouts. Although, you know, Kluber's getting you, you know – nine and a half per nine over a huge span and Chapman's getting you, you know, 50, you know, whatever, 14 per nine in a much smaller span, but it's close. Yeah. Like in leagues like that, the category really is K per nine. It's not even strikeouts. It really, I mean, it's right. you ever reaches or limit. It's really K per nine. Well, I'm, you know, actually, I, I think it's always kind of K per nine. If you're trying to win the NFBC because you're yeah, trying no. to max out your, in, you know what I mean? Like everyone's going to get to around the same amount of innings. And so it's really about, you can't just beat people with more innings. Everybody's streaming. Everybody's trying to get there. So it really is caper nine. It's kind of the same. Yeah, fair enough. You know, I love. I just love Rich Hill. I get why he's discounted because of the um, his well, now age. Now you and love kids. Rich Hill. What? Now you love Rich Hill. Ten years later. Well, I love him for two reasons. He won me a bet opposite when we bet if if, if Rich Hill. You had Rich Hill, and I had Tim Lincecum. If one of them wins uh, the Cy Young, the other owed uh, what a hundred bucks or whatever. Not only did Lincecum shockingly win the Cy Young, this was just his second year in the league, but Rich Hill was demoted to the minors. I mean, no, that- it wasn't Cy Young. It was whoever did better. And Rich Hill got demoted, and Lincecum won the Cy Young. So you won by oh, okay, okay. such right, a massive okay. margin, even though we thought it was pretty close before the season. But yet 10 years later, I was right. 
You know, I just, well, I know better. It just, you know. I, I believe, yeah, I still collected the money. And, and by the degree in which I won that bet was about as, uh, as great as it gets. But you're right. I, I'm sorry. I just thought of that. I just can't believe Linscombe won. Ended up winning the Cy Young when we just bet who would, whom would be better. But, um, yeah, Lins, Linscombe's out of the league. And, and if things break white, right health-wise, Rich Hill could easily finish top three in, in the Cy Young. I mean, that guy is just so good. I want him on on all of my teams. Uh, I want to know what, you, what you're doing with um, Andrew Miller. He comes in in number 33 in your steamer projection uh, column, that you, if you will. But the guy's obviously not going to get you know, that many saves with Cody Allen there, and he, they're going to treat him as – obviously, it's very smart Cleveland how they're implementing him. But what do you do with him fantasy-wise? Well, I mean, this – price is based on steamer projecting him for 20 saves maybe he'll get oh. 20 saves i don't feel that confident about it um yeah, i don't i'm not gonna have it i mean in friends and family of course i would have him in an innings cap but in a 12 team mixed league i don't i don't really want him i mean if he wins nine games or something it'll pay off but if he wins four as steamer hasn't projected for i don't i don't see that being uh, a good use of one of your nine slots if he's not getting saves or wins if he gets you know eight saves and I mean, you know, 20 saves and eight wins and the ratios are where they are in the strikeouts, then sure. But I, I'm probably not going to invest in him. Did any other guys uh, jump out at you on the pitching side positively or negatively while doing this? Like Lance McCullers, they're really bullish on. I actually really like him. Jose De Leon looks pretty bullish on um, anyone else uh, jump out at you. Yeah, I don't really use it for that so much. Um, you know, there, there's guys you, you can see where their biases are. Like you look at Michael Pineda is super high. And I hate Michael Pineda. Like, I'm never drafting him. If a guy is that, has that great of peripherals and that bad of an ERA every year, there's something wrong with him, right? It's a trend. I, I used to hype him, but it's definitely a trend at this point. You know, so it's like they're very biased toward the things that usually matter, like peripherals, right? And if it doesn't matter, they're still going to keep it going because that's what they do. They're just looking at what usually is predictive. But when there's exceptions, they don't do well. So I, I just note it, you know, I'll just look at stuff and be like, oh, I guess they're not worried about this guy or like Strasburg's their number seven pitcher. Not that I was going to take him anyway, but I'll have some Strasburg shares again. You, of course you, never, you never know when he's going to see you. Of course you will. Yeah. You never know when he's going to stay healthy. I don't think I'll have much David Price or Chris Sale, even though Steamer seems to like them. I don't really like lefties that much in Fenway. And it's funny because like even Lester, maybe something changed with them where he developed a new pitch, but... He wasn't great in Fenway either. He was okay, but he got way better when he left. And I don't know. I'm not really sure if that's just a thing, that the green monster is a real problem where those fly balls just end up being doubles too easily. And plus, Sales struggled at Fenway in his short sample there. So I probably want to – I'm not touching Arietta. No interest in Arietta. That's like on my do not draft list. Uh, I agree with you there, actually. Another another guy I have ranked, uh, I noticed, way higher than the rest of the industry – is Matt Harvey, and it doesn't look like uh, your, your article likes him too much either, um, or your projection system, I should say. Uh, last year, obviously, was a total disaster, but he's supposedly healthy now. And before that, his first three years in the league, he was easily one of the best pitchers in baseball, and he's still young. And, and again, right now, supposedly he's healthy, and he had the surgery. So I don't know. Am I, am I crazy to treat him as a top-20 guy still? Well, I mean, the thoracic outlet recoveries, I don't think there's much track record for them doing well. I think it's kind of a new thing. Not that many guys have done it. Didn't Derek Holland get it? A couple other guys. Like, there's not many yeah. guys who've done it and then come out and been themselves. He's pretty young. It seems like a kind of new procedure. So, you know, maybe he'll be like one of the first Tommy John successes where they're like, oh, I guess this does work. So I just think that's the issue with him is nobody knows what kind of pitcher he's going to be. 
Yeah, right, right. Fair enough. Um, I guess there is a big wild card there. Boy, that Mets team has the upside to be sick. I'm gonna I'm gonna hammer the over there. I, I really think that even if they, well, all not, the pitchers, you shouldn't hammer the over. You should hammer them to win the World Series. Because yeah, you're right. You're right. No, no, you're right. Mean, yeah, upside doesn't right. help the over. No, you're totally right. You're absolutely a thousand percent right. Okay, switch it over to hitters. Um, did anyone jump out at you? I see that one guy totally like a sore thumb to me is, is Eric Thames um, at 26. Uh, what I mean, what do we make of him? I, I know the projection models really, really like him. Uh, obviously, wasn't even in Major League Baseball. They don't know what to do with him. They don't know what to do with him. This, you know, this is, again, a, a rare situation. Guy coming over from a different league with ridiculous numbers, and they regress him as much as they can, but his numbers were so ridiculous that the regression still puts him at 26 overall among hitters. I'm not saying he won't be good, and he, he very well might, but this but steamer is like not a good tool for something like this. Where it works really well is hitters that their track record is something that's been assessed by many systems and many. There's you know a huge relationship between past and future, and and they know what factors really contribute. When you're talking about a guy coming from a totally different level of play um, with absurd numbers, I just don't think steamer is the best tool to use. All right. Well, what you got? It. You got anything? Got anyone for me? You want to talk about? What do you? You got anyone? What, got yeah, anyone else? Yeah, you know, it's weird. Like this year, I'm not really. I mean, I've got like players I like, and <clears throat> and I wrote a list of like play, like I like Yasmani Tomas. Like I thought he, you know, hit a lot of home runs down the stretch and probably be cheap. There's like a couple players. I don't even. I just threw that name out because it just occurred to me. But I don't really. I'm not like targeting players. You know, I just have a couple guys that I seem to like where they end up falling, and and I'll probably take a bunch of them. But I'm not really like on. Making the case for players. I mean, it's weird. It's, I almost feel like you just draft anybody. You know, you'll have a couple guys you like more than other people, but like, I'm, I'm feeling like it's more structural and, and I, I like the elite closers who get you those extra strikeouts that I think are undercounted, but I'm not that wedded to like individual players. I mean, I like guys like Nomar Mazzara because he didn't have a great year and he's a prospect pedigree guy that's, you know, going to get a full season in Texas. Um, but, you know, it, it's just I have a style of player I like. Old guys that are still probably good. Love Miguel Cabrera, but I'm not like I'm not really in like touting these players mode. I'm just kind of observing and taking them where they fall. Yeah, sadly, I I agree with you. Of, of course, I have to, to write about some guys I like and guys I don't. But generally, when it comes to the draft this year, I think I'm going to be more agnostic than ever. I, I'm I'm kind of with you there. Uh, I, I don't really have too many targets. Um, inevitably you do, as I said, if you, if you rank some guy higher than, I mean, unexpectedly, not even that you did it on purpose, then the rest of the industry, I'll end up with them. But in general, I, I, I do, I'm with you. I, I, I'm not too much hyping any specific player. Um, I'm going to be really agnostic this season. Um, uh, maybe it's cause I was, uh, what about the whole pitching, uh, hit, hitting strategy that I, that I have? It really did not work out too well last year, but I, I'm probably going to stick with starters still pretty earlier than most but then again nfbc they, they really kind of do that anyway don't they yeah they do and i think you know if you get kershaw i think you can get a couple of those high strikeout closers and and wait on the second starting pitcher i think if you don't get kershaw and you end up with like Syndergaard as your number one then i do think you want to double up with the strasburg uh, or somebody in round five and maybe a closer you know i'm still going to go pitching heavy i think in the nfbc it's just it's so helpful to have those elite closers, but if you end up with pitching and closers, this is why I really want Kershaw's. I can get Kershaw on one and an elite closer in the four or five turn and then get hitters at two, three, five, and then get like a Melanson type in round six, you know, and then another hitter in seven and eight or maybe a pitcher in eight. But like 
because it's Kershaw and the ratios are so dominant and he gets so many strikeouts, you get one elite closer that's a plus 30 or 40 strikeouts of a replacement. And I think you can really skimp on pitching the rest of the way. You're still going to have to hit on some of those, you know, 20th round to 30th round pitchers. But I usually do get one or two, maybe three good guys, you know, one guy in waivers, two guys in the late rounds, somebody solid in the teens. And if I have Kershaw, then that's probably enough. Yep, makes sense. All right, you ready to move on to the random stuff then? Sure. The, uh, yeah, we only have 15 minutes because of my show starting. Oh, that's right. Okay, so um, I, I want to strongly recommend a TV show called The Fall. It's a, a BBC show, and all three seasons are, are currently available on Netflix. It's about a, a hunt for a serial killer, but it's uh, it's really nuanced and non-formulaic, and, and season three becomes something entirely different, and I don't, don't want to give it away. Too, don't give it away. I, I'm not going to give away you anything. You told me too much, more than I wanted to know. Okay. All right. Well, the fall, I, I highly recommend it. And um, uh, season three is one of my favorite seasons of, of all time. Um, speaking of which, one of my favorite seasons of all time is Homeland season one. And that's kind of really fell off in the middle there. But right. that shows back to being good this season. Okay, good. That shows back. We're yeah. going to start watching so, it now. Okay. But the fall is my main recommendation of the okay. week. You got, you got anything TV wise or well, movie wise? I've been watching BoJack at your recommendation and, it, right. and it's great. Now there's, there's like an episode where Bojack wants to write his own book about himself because he's pissed at his uh, ghostwriter, and so he, you know, he can't really get going. So he decides he's going to drug himself <laughs> into a state where he can get the book done in like four days. And so he, his buddy Todd, who's Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad, who's who's the best character in the show, he, Todd, and the Lindsay Lohan character basically just do so many drugs to try to get this done and they end up with like 10 pages of totally incoherent uh, ramblings but it was it, that was to me that was the best episode so far nice all right yeah no that show is great if, if anyone has not seen bojack horseman do so immediately um have you have you seen this uh kim jong nam story no the, what the the uh the north korean guy who got poisoned or something yeah, I mean, this uh, now it's coming out that, that that she was a former pop idol, like like an American idol. There were some rumors that she was uh, they, she was uh, duped into thinking she was in a prank show, and then since then that's been debunked. But anyway, this this girl came up and at an airport uh, threw uh, some liquid into his, this is Kim Jong Un's uh, brother or half brother, um, his face, and he died like immediately before he could even get to the hospital. I mean, North Korea is just so out there. And this story is getting underreported here. It's it's pretty pretty insane. Yeah, uh, I hear you, man. You should go. I mean, that's, you should go and stay there for a while. Yeah, we want to go visit visit North, North Korea. What what I mean? What? So you got anything for me po- po- politically, or, or what? What's going on? How uh, how are things over there and uh, where you are? Uh, Lisbon's good. Um, we uh, we just got you know we went on vacation for two weeks, right? So like we were in Spain, and I will say that San Sebastian has. Probably the best food I've ever had in the world. There's, like, so many Michelin-starred restaurants. We went to one of them, had a ridiculous feast there. And then oh, uh, – three-star went, one? Have you, been to a, have you ever been to a three-star? No, I have not. Maybe, maybe in New York. Maybe Boulay or whatever when I went. I don't, I can't, I don't know. Like, when I was in New York, I just – I didn't even think about that kind of thing, but not in a long time. So the food, anything exotic or anything, you know, different? No, I mean, it's just really fresh seafood and meat and different things uh, that were interesting. And then uh, we, you know, it was like we're in San Sebastian. We're in the Atlantic Ocean in February, like knee deep and Sasha's waist deep. And it's, it's like 68 degrees out and sunny and it's really nice. And then we went to Barcelona, which was really fun and like partied with some people there. And then we went skiing in Andorra, which is this tiny country between Spain and France. And it was pretty funny. Sasha went to ski school and, and I got my skiing stuff going. 
And I always ski like once a year, you know, like one day, literally. So like I never get better. I'm okay. I'm not very good. And Heather's like kind of my level. We're skiing like a lot of intermediate slopes, but the conditions were so white out, like you couldn't see anything. That we were like skiing a lot of beginner slopes just because you really, literally couldn't see like 10 feet in front of you. And then finally, uh, it was like the last day, and Heather picked up Sasha, and she's like, go and do a bunch of runs. I'll just finish up and, and watch Sasha. So I'm like, okay. And it was good conditions finally. It was sunny out. And I get out there, you know, on the chairlift for like the 10th time and different routes, and I'm on this one that we did the beginner one so many times. And I was going to go to the intermediate one, but it was closed. It was like closed off for some reason. So I'm going down, and there's the detour for the Black Diamond one. And it's like, I'm like, you know, it's my last run of the day. I'm just going to do this. Screw it. So I take a left to go down. It doesn't look that bad. It doesn't look that steep. I make my first turn, giant patch of ice, wipe out. And usually, you know, you're trying to get to your feet. I couldn't get to my feet because I'm going like 20 miles an hour down the hill, like on my ass, like the whole way, the whole hill, like 150, you know, like 50 yards, you know, just straight down. And uh, luckily I wasn't hurt. My skis were like behind me and I, I actually didn't like get injured, but it's just fitting that like the la- it was the last slope of the last day and I tried to uh, take it to the next level and failed. Well, I think that's smarter than doing it immediately. I mean, that might have ruined the rest of your day. But if only there were footage, I, I would have paid. It would, it would have been pretty funny, the footage, yeah. And, like, the people on the lift, you know, you can see people skiing. There was no one on it. I didn't even think, like, hmm, why is there no one on this? I mean, it was very icy. And I, I suppose, like, a good skier would have figured out a way to avoid that. But when, when the thing's actually a lot steeper than the intermediate one where you cut in and slide a little and then cut in the other way, even there's a little ice, I, I, was, I had zero chance to survive that. That's funny. That's funny. All right, man. That's all I got for you. I thought you had like a lot of shit for me, man. You were just talking baseball. That was it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But, but, I mean, it's kind of a downtime in sports right now. I mean, what, what do you want me to do? Today's my like, birthday. I got a guy. Kim Jong Il was all you had. Poli- poli- I mean, what do you have? Well, I mean, you, you, you're you're way more on that political side than I am. I mean, what what do you, what do you want me to talk well, about? I mean, I'm not going to just go on a political rant. I mean, John, I mean, John Oliver is- had a John Oliver had a really good segment about Putin. I, I, I mean, that guy that guy is crazy. If you, if you haven't checked that out, I'd go YouTube that. That's a that's a, an interesting thing to just see how that guy lives. His his salary is like a couple hundred grand, and he's he's like one of the <laughs> richest people in the world. Uh, he's and he lives pretty extravagantly. Uh, I would check that out. But go ahead, go on a rant. Come on. No, I, I don't have a rant. I, I I mean I my look. The only thing for me is like the Democrats are so pathetic. All, all they have to do is be like, hey, you know, people are suffering. Let's go figure this out. Let's stand up for our policies. Instead, they're like Russia, Russia, Russia. These people aren't being aggressive enough about Russia. That's their main. That's their main issue. Like people, that's the thing that we're supposed to be caring about. It's just. It's just stupid. So that's why they lost, and it's why they probably lose again. But I don't. You know, that's not, nothing new. I'll probably delete that whole thing. All right. Okay. Fair enough. All right, man. So we're done. I think we're done. Yeah. All right. All right, man. I mean, it's my birth. It's my birthday, dude. I got to go start like drinking. Happy birthday! You're gonna start drinking. What time is it? It's yeah. almost nine a.m. Yeah, it's not even. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I better start partying immediately. Are you going on the XM show today, too? Yeah, maybe I'll be wasted by then. Yeah, you should. Uh, do it. A real man. <laughs> All right, dude. All right, dude. Take it easy. All right. Later, listen. All right. Dalton, happy birthday. Thank you. That was Dalton Eldon. You were listening to the East Coast Offense podcast. It's Chris List. This podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. There is a special offer for new users. Get a free six-month RotoWire subscription with a $10 deposit on FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash RW. Not only will you get the free subscription, but you'll have that $10 available to play with on FanDuel. It's more than $40 in value for just $10. Go to FanDuel.com slash RW.